to Redemption Church, and my name is Reggie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption. And uh, over the past few weeks here at Redemption, we have started going through uh, the book of Ephesians, and so that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to take a look at uh, just two little words, three words, um, two words that are connected together by the word and uh, this morning from those first few verses of Ephesians, and we'll talk through those. Um, Sort of the series that we've been going through deals with our um, identity in Christ. And so um, that's what we'll be focused on, and that's how we'll move forward from here. But if you will, uh, pray with me, and then after we pray, we'll move on from there. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be together this morning to worship, to hear from your word, to spend some time together in your presence. And so, God, I pray now as we move into a time where uh, we look at some very specific things that your word has to tell us. Um, God, I pray that you would move in our midst, that you would move in our hearts and minds, that you would speak to us, that you would allow us to focus completely on you, and that you would allow us to be changed because we've heard from your word. God, as I stand on this stage this morning, I recognize that what I have to say is of no importance at all. But God, I also recognize that what you have to say from your word is of utmost importance. And so God, I pray that you would allow us to hear from you and from your word. God, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace, mercy, an instrument of the gospel of your love. And that because we've had this time together, the Holy Spirit would move in such a way to change hearts and to change lives. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so if you would, take your Bibles and turn to um, the first chapter of Ephesians. We're going to look at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 1. I'll read them, and then, uh, and then we'll move on from there. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So in verse 4 there, Paul says this. Let me read it to you again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This morning we're going to focus in on those words, holy and blameless, and what it is that that means for you and I, and what it means that Paul has placed those words right here in these first few verses. As I said, over the past few weeks, we've entered a series where we talk about our identity in Christ, and the words that Paul uses here to say something about our identity are the words holy and blameless. And so this morning, I'm going to dive right in. Uh, Let me go ahead and tell you to put on your seatbelts. We're going to move fast. And uh, go through a lot of information, but hopefully it's going to be good, and hopefully God's word will um, work in our hearts and lives as we do this. So let me ask you this question as we get started. Has there ever been something in your life that you've set aside for a specific purpose? 
Let me give you an example. I'm a huge fan of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Yeah, Archie's out there, and he's a huge fan too. On game day, what do you wear? You wear a Carolina Gamecocks shirt, right, or a hat or something, and that shirt or that hat is set aside for a specific purpose. It's special, right? For you ladies, it might be something else. I don't know. You might have a favorite dress or jeans. I don't know. I'm not a girl. I'm guessing. Um, So maybe there's something that you've had in your life that you've set aside for a specific purpose purpose. It holds special meaning to you, special value to you, maybe beyond the worth of, uh, of what it actually cost you, um, because it's special and it's set aside. At my wedding, my wife and I received these gifts of china and silverware, and the purpose of that china and silverware is that they be set aside and used for special occasions. As a matter of fact, that china and silverware is so special to us that I can't even tell you where it is right now. It's set aside, and it has a purpose, but it's probably not fulfilling that purpose, right? Nonetheless, you get what I'm going for here. There have been times in our lives where we've had something special that we've set aside for a purpose. That thing, whatever it is, has great value to us in one way or another. Here in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1, according to what Paul writes... Paul writes that God has chosen and set aside certain individuals for his own glory. And the purpose and the goal of God setting those people aside, of choosing them and electing them to be his followers, is that they be holy and blameless. So Paul specifically says that the reason, the purpose, the goal of our salvation is not just to repair the damage of sin, because sin has damaged us all beyond repair. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, because of our sin, we're damaged beyond repair. We can't repair ourselves. We're completely dependent upon Jesus for that. So Paul tells us that the purpose of God's saving grace, the purpose of God allowing some to be his followers is not just to repair the damage of sin, but it's also to accomplish part of God's original purpose for mankind. And what was part of that purpose? Well, part of that original purpose was that God would have people that are set apart for himself, for his purposes, for his own glory, right? And Jesus accomplishes that in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Let me read it for you here. Peter writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, in God's election of you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has set you aside with a special purpose. He's placed you into his body of faith that's known as the church, but he set you aside to be a part of that body for a purpose, to be holy and blameless, to be set aside for him that you might proclaim the excellencies of Christ. It's as if God has put his mark on you. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit, as scripture says, and he set you apart with a specific purpose if you're his Follower, It's as if God said, this one is over here. This one's different. I have a purpose for this one. This one's part of my community. They're going to proclaim how I've changed them, what I have done for them. 
And in the midst of it, I will be glorified and they'll receive the joy from being rightly related to me. So Paul lays out right here, I think pretty clearly, that the reason that God allows some to follow him is that they would be holy and blameless and set aside for his purposes. You with me? Everybody okay? Just somebody nod. You're not asleep yet, right? Okay. Um, So God has set people aside for his own purposes. And part of that is that we would be a holy and blameless people for him. So let's dive into this concept of being holy and blameless for just a minute. Let's dive into it. Let's, let's dig into it a little bit and see what scripture has to teach us. But let's start with this first idea that holiness is ultimately rooted and ultimately defined by God himself. So let's start right there. Take your Bibles, be they in your hand or be they electronic, and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And let's look at the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 6. These are some of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture. And it's an encounter that Isaiah has with the holy God. Let's read it together. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. In this passage, God very specifically is called Holy, Holy, Holy. It is a superlative. It is a way that the Hebrew denotes that God is the essence of holiness. Scripture is making it clear that whatever holiness is, God is it. God is the essence of that thing, holiness. And in this passage, we see that God is so different so much higher, so much otherworldly than Isaiah that Isaiah literally here is deathly afraid. I think the picture that you get when you see Isaiah is sort of like a ball of twine that's unwinding in the presence of God. So part of the essence of holiness is being different from us. Not just different for the sake of being different, but different in the sense that God is separated from all that is sinful, all that is base, and all that is human to a certain extent. In God's holy presence here, Isaiah becomes keenly aware of his own sin precisely because he's in the presence of a God who knows no sin, who is holy. And if you read on in Isaiah, God sets Isaiah apart for the specific purpose of... Whoa, 
almost knocked it over there. God sets Isaiah apart for the specific purposes of going and proclaiming God's glory to all uh, around him that God would be glorified. And so God's holiness here is defined in a sense by the fact that God is separate from sin and in a sense devoted to his own glory. And so I have to stop here and ask the question, are you separated from sin because God has set you apart to be holy and blameless like uh, Ephesians 1.4 says, or are you knee deep in it? Or are you waist deep in it? If your friends around you, the members of your missional community, your DNA group, your friends, people here at Redemption Church began to peel away the layers of the onion of your life, what would they find on the inside? What would they catch you right in the middle of? Would they find you knee deep in sin? When I think of being waist deep in sin and being caught by it, I think of my daughter. I have a four-year-old daughter named Laurel. If you happen to know her, um, she's um, rambunctious. Let's just go with that. And a few years ago, we were on vacation, and we were staying at this house at the beach, and it was a two-story house. There were two bedrooms on the bottom floor, one on the top floor, and each of the girls decided they wanted to have their own room for the week that we were away on vacation. And the rooms uh, had two beds in each room. And so um, I go and I tell the girls, don't jump from bed to bed, right? Don't stand on one bed and jump to the other bed. Don't do it because somebody's going to get hurt. And of course, they said, yes, daddy, we won't do that. And a little bit later, I hear something, and um, Natalie is doing something. I don't remember what she's doing, but I hear something on a bed, and I think, I need to go check what's going on. So I peek in the door, and I catch Laurel in mid-flight going from bed to bed like this. And she lands, and I decide to watch and see what happens again, and she comes back across in the air, lands on the bed, jumps up, and about that time, I open the door, And you know the look, wide eyes, I'm caught. I'm in trouble. I've caught her right in the middle of something that I've asked her not to do. So I have to ask, if we were to peek through the door of your life, where are we going to find you right now? We're going to find you being holy and blameless. We're going to find you jumping from bed to bed. What's it going to be? If God has set you apart to be holy and blameless, I have to ask the question, are you holy and blameless? 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 says this, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It's pretty clear, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Paul writes this, Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. In scripture, there is a clear call on your life, on my life, to be holy, to be sanctified is what Paul uses in the passage I just read, to be made more like Christ every day. It is expected of all believers that they will be holy like God is holy. Turn over to Psalm chapter 15. Let me read you a passage. Psalm chapter 15, David essentially asks this question, God, who can dwell with you? It's a simple question. God, who gets to dwell in your house? Who gets to dwell on your holy hill? Who gets to live with you, God? And the response has the potential to be crushing. Let me read it. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So David asks a simple question, God, who gets to stay with you? Who gets to dwell with you? God, who gets to live with you? And the response that comes to us from Scripture is almost impossible to obtain. The picture that David gives here is of a man who always does what is right. It says that. He always does what is right. He's holy and blameless. It's a picture of a man who does not slander with his tongue, who walks blamelessly, who does what is right, who thinks what is right. The passage says a man speaks truth in his heart. It's a picture of a man who always does what's right, speaks what is right, thinks what's right, always treats his neighbor appropriately, never seeks to gain an unfair advantage over someone for his own gain, a person who honors those who are honorable, a person who despises evil. It's, it's a picture of a person whose behavior is behavior that we can't obtain on our own. Think back on your week. Does your life look like this person in Psalm chapter 15? I can think back on the last hour, right? And my life doesn't look like this. And yet, God calls me to be holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Strive for peace with everyone 
and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So where's my hope? Because I'm in an awful predicament, right? God has called me to be holy and blameless. He's set me apart to be holy and blameless. And yet my life does not look like the life of someone who is holy and blameless. So where's my hope? I'm glad you asked that question. You see, if God has chosen us and set us aside set us apart to be holy and blameless. If God is doing the work, then our hope is found in Christ and in the work of Jesus on the cross and in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's good news, right? That's the gospel. Colossians 1, 21 and 23 says this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Holiness being set apart for a specific purpose. Blamelessness being free from the guilt of sin. All of these things are accomplished for you by the work of Christ on the cross. Holiness and blamelessness are conditional states granted to us because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. I need you to understand something. When Christ died on the cross, he did something. He accomplished something. It wasn't just the potential for something to occur. Christ actually did something. He died for your sins. And in doing so, your guilt is removed And the righteousness of Christ is credited to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So in the gospel, in the work of Christ on the cross, Christ accomplishes something, and that is the salvation of his people and setting them apart for his purposes. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Amen? Somebody? Thank you. So God does the work for you through Jesus to set you apart And there is great comfort in the fact that God does the work to set you apart as his own. That God grants you his righteousness and that God forgives your sin because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. There's great comfort in this. We talk about it all the time here at Redemption. There's great comfort in the gospel. But you have to understand this. With the comfort of of the gospel comes a calling on your life. You can't have the comfort that Jesus provides without recognizing there's a call that comes along with it. If you take the comfort alone, you run the risk of not taking holiness seriously. And you run the risk of living your life constantly mired in sin, which is not what God has for you. If you take the call of Jesus alone without the comfort that the gospel provides, that Jesus has done the work for you, you end up as a legalist who constantly tries to follow rules and do things to make God happy with you. And that's not what God has for you either. With the comfort of the gospel comes a calling. 
The calling is to be holy. The comfort of the gospel is that Christ has accomplished holiness with you. They go together. You can't have one without the other, okay? And so Jesus sets us apart to be his own possession, to be holy and blameless. He gives us a calling to be holy and blameless. And then the Holy Spirit works in our lives to sanctify us and to make us more like Christ on a daily basis. I think all the time that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life to sanctify me by my kids. If you have kids in the room, you understand what I'm talking about. When I got married, I found out that I was selfish and self-centered. When I had kids, um, my world got turned upside down. And life is no longer about you when you have kids. I don't know if you've been down this road or not. If you're married, you find that out slowly. When you have kids, everything gets turned upside down. And so when I walk into the bathroom and the sink is full of water and there's toothpaste all over the mirror and one of my kids has their face in the water blowing bubbles and there's water going everywhere and toothpaste everywhere and my reaction is immediately to blow up and to start screaming and the gospel runs out the door because I'm yelling. And in that minute, the Holy Spirit is working to remind me, look, buddy, you're a sinner too. You're just like they are. You need the gospel just like they do. So calm down, quit yelling, be aware of the fact that you have something to work on in your heart, and then let's use this as a teaching moment for your kids. It's just one way that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. I'm sure that you've been down that road in some form or fashion, whether you have kids or not. So the gospel provides us great comfort and that Jesus has done the work to set us apart as his own. With that comfort comes a calling. That calling is to be holy and blameless. And it's the Holy Spirit that works in our lives through the word of God through our friends, through our missional communities, through our DNA groups, through our family to disciple us and to help us understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit be at work in our lives and to respond in repentance and faith. All right, you with me? So there's great comfort in knowing that Christ does the work for us. Jesus is always the hero, always. And with that comfort comes a calling. Yes, your righteousness, and yes, your holiness, and yes, your blamelessness comes from Christ and his work alone, but there's still a tension there. It's a now but not yet situation. Christ has set you apart to be holy and blameless, and yet there's still a call on your life to be holy and blameless. There is absolutely no place in the Christian life for lazy self-centeredness. It doesn't exist because the call on your life is to be holy and blameless. Yes, Christ accomplished it. Yes, the Holy Spirit is at work to do it. You still have a call on your life to be holy and blameless. And there's no place for you to be to sit back and be lazy in your pursuit of holiness. You can't sit around and do nothing. Romans 8, it's an unbelievable chapter in Scripture. And in that chapter, Paul deals with what life lived in the Spirit looks like. 
Life lived in the pursuit of holiness. Life lived as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. He gives us an incredible picture of what that looks like. And then in Romans 8, 12, and 13, Paul says something very specific. I'm going to read to you from the NIV translation. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Let me make it clear so there is no misunderstanding here. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an obligation to pursue life in the Spirit and an obligation to pursue holiness. You can't get around it. It is on your life. And so the question is, what are you going to do with that obligation? You have an obligation to strive for holiness. Remember, earlier, we defined holiness from God. God is the essence of what holiness is. We stated that God is separate from sin, and God is seeking his own glory. And so you and I have an obligation to defeat sin in our life and to pursue God's glory. That obligation is on us, not so that you can or will achieve holiness on your own, because you won't, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and apart from the work of Christ. Not so that God will love you more or accept you more. Not so that God, not so that you can earn your salvation from God. That's not the reason. The obligation that's placed on you is because God has saved you. The obligation that is placed on you is because God has set you apart, because God has given you a purpose. God has given you an identity of being holy and blameless, and he's given you the Holy Spirit to help you in that pursuit of being holy and blameless. And so with the work of Christ, with the comfort of Christ, with the comfort of knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work in us, you have an obligation to pursue holiness. And if you're a lazy, self-centered Christian, unwilling to pursue the holiness of God and the call of Christ upon your life, then this morning, the opportunity for you is to respond in faith and repentance. That opportunity is always before you. We often think of confession and repentance as being a bad thing because we have to admit that we're bad people. Guess what? We are. All of us know it. You're bad, I'm bad. Christ does the work to make us good. And because of the work that Christ has done to set us apart, we all can look at one another and say, yeah, we're sinners, but God has set us apart to be holy and blameless. Yes, there is sin I need to confess and repent of. Yes, I need to respond in faith because of the work that Christ has done for me. So the obligation is upon you to strive for holiness. Let me give you some practical advice in that pursuit, and then I'm going to be done. First, right from the get-go, you've got to recognize that your heart is a battleground. Your heart will always be a battleground. Every day, in every way, your heart is at war. Your heart must constantly fight to speak truth to yourself. Do you remember Psalm chapter 15? 
David says of the man who is holy and blameless that he speaks truth in his heart. Your heart must fight to constantly speak truth to yourself from God's word. In every way, in every situation, your heart is constantly going to be evaluating the situation that you're in, God's word, and your response to that is indicative of how your heart is evaluating and responding. Your heart is at war. It's at war against the world. It's at war against sin. It's at war against your own desires. Your heart is always evaluating. It's always interpreting. And so recognize that your heart is at war and learn to evaluate and interpret based on the truth of God's word. That God has set you apart to be holy and blameless because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, because of the work of Jesus on the Christ, on the cross, you can pursue that holiness. You with me? Recognize that your heart is at war. Number two, recognize that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart to sanctify you. You're not doing this on your own. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to sanctify and cleanse you at the very beginning of your walk with Christ and to continue to sanctify you and cleanse you as you move on in your journey. Have you ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? It's a great book by John Bunyan. Go read it. It's all about the pursuit of sanctification. Yes, he was a Puritan, but he was awesome. 1 Corinthians 6.11 tells us this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. And Philippians 1 6 says this, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, number one, recognize that your heart is at war. It will always be at war. Jesus has already won, though. Number two, recognize that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart to sanctify you. Third, seek to know God. Right? If God is the essence of holiness, if God is the definition of holiness, and we've been called to pursue holiness, then where should we go to learn about holiness? God. That's a Sunday school answer. It's fine. Know God. Seek to know God. Fourthly, take God's exhortation to be holy seriously. It's not a joke. It's not a suggestion. It's an absolute expectation on your life. Live like God expects you to be holy because he does. It's not a choice that you get to make. If God has set you apart and provided you the comfort of the gospel, then the obligation is on you to pursue that holiness. Live life like God expects you to be holy because he does. Fifthly, remember that rejecting God's holiness, forgive me, remember that rejecting God's call to holiness is akin to rejecting God himself. Listen again to the words of 1 Thessalonians, verse, I mean chapter four, verses seven and eight. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You reject God's call to holiness on your life, you're rejecting God. 
don't think that's a point that any of us want to be at. And if God has set you aside as his own, remember that God's call to holiness on your life is important and that rejecting it is rejecting God himself. Sixthly, let's bring it down to an even more practical notch. Involve yourself in the community of faith where God has placed you. If you're a part of this church, if you're a part of another church and you're visiting this morning, the call on your life, because God has set you apart to be holy and blameless, he set you apart to be a part of his community, his church. Involve yourself in the church that God has placed you in. Here at Redemption Church, we meet together on Sunday mornings. It's a place for you to be if you're a part of Redemption Church. Together is the body of faith. There's a place for you to meet together here as the body of faith to worship. There's a place for you to come and serve on Sunday morning. There's a place for you to serve during the week. During the week, we meet in missional communities. We meet in DNA groups. We meet in one-on-one relationships for the purpose of pursuing the call of holiness on our lives. We call it discipleship. It's why missional communities exist. It's why DNA groups exist. It's why we meet together. It's why we develop one-on-one friendships to sharpen one another. You wanna pursue holiness? Don't do it on your own. Get involved in a community of faith that will encourage you, that will point out your sin and love, that will help you to pursue holiness on a practical level because they can look right at you and say, hey, what about this thing in your life? What are you doing about that? How is God at work in that situation? So get involved. Be here on Sunday mornings. Serve the body some way. Go to missional communities. Get involved in a DNA group. Find a friend. Sharpen one another. Pursue holiness together. All right, so real quick, let's go back through those practical means of pursuing holiness. Recognize that your heart is at war. Jesus has won, but recognize that your heart is at war and you need the work of the Holy Spirit to help you respond. Secondly, remember that the Holy Spirit is at work in you to sanctify you. You're not doing this on your own. Third, seek to know God. If God is the essence of holiness, seek to know what holiness is. Fourth, take God's exhortation to be holy seriously. It's not a joke. Fifth, remember that God's call on your life is to be holy and that if you reject that call, you're rejecting God himself. And sixthly, pursue life in the community of faith that God has placed you in so that you can disciple one another and point out specific areas of your life where holiness needs to be pursued. You guys with me? Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be together this morning and to hear this word, hopefully, God, that you had for us. God, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and in our minds to bring the realities of your word to fruition. God, thank you that there is great comfort in knowing that Jesus has done something on our behalf that we could never do for ourselves, and that is to save us and to set us apart for your purposes to be holy and blameless. God, thank you for the reminder that with that comfort comes a great call to pursue holiness. God, we can't do it on our own. I can't do it on my own. God, I beg you to continue to work 
in my heart and life, in the heart and lives of everyone in this room to continually bring us to repentance and faith that we might pursue your holiness, that we might be sanctified according to your word, that we might become more and more like Jesus every single day. God, I pray that you would bring this about as only you can. God, I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we've come to a time in our um, worship where we're going to continue to worship, but we're going to do that in a few different ways. Um, We're going to continue to sing here in just a second. The worship band is going to come back up. They're going to lead us. They're going to guide us. And we'll have some opportunity to respond simply in worship. But also during this time as we respond in worship, there are a couple of other ways that you can, or I'm sorry, during this time when we respond in worship by singing, there are a couple of other ways that you can respond in worship as well. One of those is to give. In the back, there is a um, giving basket where uh, as God leads you to give back to his work on earth through the body of faith known as Redemption Church, you can do that. Also during this time, we'll take communion. And as we continue to worship by taking communion, singing, tithing, um, if you're in the room and you have kids in the nursery, we would encourage you to go and pick those kids up so that they can come back and be a part of our um, time together as we close out in a time of worship. But as I mentioned as well, we're going to take communion. In just a second, this is the way we're going to do it. Um, we're going to have some people up front that are going to help facilitate communion. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and God gives you the freedom to do so, then we would invite you to walk down this middle aisle, come up front, take the bread, tear it off, dip it in the wine or juice, and so remember the body of Christ that was broken for you and the blood of Christ that was shed for you. It's a time for us to remember what Christ has done for us and to proclaim it to one another. With that comes a couple of warnings. Number one, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then communion is not for you. Scripture is very clear that by taking communion and not being a follower of Jesus Christ, you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. I don't want you to eat and drink judgment on yourself. I want you to know Christ. So during this time, the call for you is to know Christ to come to know Christ rather than to take communion. Also, if you're in this room this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ and there's unrepentant sin in your life, meaning there's sin that you have not repented of, are unwilling to repent of, then now is the time for you to respond in faith and repentance rather than coming to take communion. But as God gives you the freedom to do so, then we would encourage you to come and worship in that way. Let's pray. God, thank you again for your word for the opportunity to worship together. And God, now thank you for the reminder that your body was broken for us and that your blood was shed for us. God, may we not take that lightly. God, I pray as we respond in the next few minutes, our hearts and minds would be focused completely on you and what you've done for us. And I pray that we would respond in faith and repentance as you've called us to. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his work on our behalf. Thank you that because of that, we can gather together now and worship. And God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.